Support for this episode comes from NetSuite. To gain visibility and control over your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months from NetSuite by Oracle. Go to netsuite.com machines. That's netsuite.com machines. This is MIT Technology Review. I will be able to tell my grandchildren that I was there at a moment when we had a chance to figure out what to do with AI. That's Gary Marcus, one of the most prominent voices in the field of artificial intelligence. I don't know if I'll be able to tell them we made the right choice or the wrong choice. And that's what keeps me going right now, is hoping to be able to tell them that we made the right choice. He's a cognitive scientist and the creator of multiple AI companies, one of which was acquired by Uber. He's also well-known for challenging contemporary AI, and his latest TED Talk makes an urgent call for international regulation. I'm Jennifer Strong, and this is I Was There When, an oral history project featuring the stories of breakthroughs and watershed moments in AI and computing, as told by those who witnessed them. Hi, I'm Gary Marcus. I'm a cognitive scientist who's been working on AI for the last decade, and I'm trying to figure out how we can have a world with AI that helps us and doesn't hurt us. For 75 years, AI has proceeded along two very separate routes. One of them is building symbolic AI that looks like classical artificial intelligence, looks like computer programming and logic and so forth, and the other is neural networks. And they've both kind of succeeded and both kind of failed. So all of the world's search engines use symbolic AI, or classical search uses symbolic AI. All of these chatbots these days are using neural networks. So they both have some uptake, but they're both flawed. So nobody could get the symbolic AI to recognize images, for example. And it's very difficult to scale it to do new things. Whereas the neural networks are really good at scaling, but they can't handle the truth. I mean, they just make stuff up. It's really quite bad. And so neither of these approaches has really been adequate. I think historically, there's been a lot of animosity between the two schools. Something I discovered is that two of the founders of these fields actually went to Bronx Science as high school students in the 1940s. And I kind of imagined them as rivals and the fields that they built have you know, not gotten along very well. And that certainly goes back to the late 60s when Marvin Minsky at MIT wrote the book Perceptrons with Seymour Pepper that was very hostile to the thing that Frank Rosenblatt was building, which was called a Perceptron. And I think something that's interesting about these new search engines that try to give you text rather than just web links is that they force people to try to figure out how to make this actually accurate. And that might force a kind of reconciliation that's long overdue. As we record this, I think that we're in an incredible moment in AI history where it's moving faster than ever before. It's actually mattering in the world, but it's also posing risks in the world in a way that's never happened before. So I think it's a very interesting moment in that sense. It's a very interesting moment politically because we're at a moment where the balance of power may shift to the technology companies from the governments. And the choices that we make right now are going to affect the next decade or maybe the next century. It's a really critical moment, probably in the history of AI, but also in the history of society. Up until now, people built technologies, AI, but they didn't really have that much consumer uptake. Or there were things like web search that mattered a little bit, but they were very narrow. Now we suddenly have a technology that can be used in a lot of places, but it's fundamentally unreliable. 
We saw a case just a couple weeks ago where somebody was falsely accused of sexual harassment. A search engine said this person committed sexual harassment. They didn't, and they actually wrote an op-ed about this, explaining that they didn't. And then another search engine also thought, basically because they look at statistical associations between words, this person was a lawyer. One of their students had worked on a famous sexual harassment case. And the system didn't understand the relations between like a student that works on case and this person actually being involved in sexual harassment. So it was a kind of defamation. And the, the second system completely misunderstood the op-ed. It was able to find an op-ed that had the words that were correlated with the words that it was saying, but it didn't understand what they mean. The reality is that in, in 2023, as we record this, AI doesn't really understand what it reads. It does text processing, a kind of sophisticated text processing, but it does not really understand the content of what it's saying. I just gave, as it happens, a TED Talk just before we recorded this, and I used another example, which is a system said that Elon Musk died in a car crash in 2018. And in fact, you know, Elon Musk is alive and well as we record this, and he's in the news every day. There's lots of evidence that goes against it. The system's not smart enough to validate what it says against that. So we're living in this era of AI systems that can't reliably validate the things that they're saying but at the same time are getting widespread adoption. So we've never seen AI used by consumers as quickly as this new technology called ChatGPT. And it's a weird moment, I think, in the history of AI. In the early days, AI didn't really pose any risk because it wasn't really used that much. It also wasn't a much help. Now we have AI that really is genuinely helpful. For example, it helps computer programmers program faster. 50 years from now, people might listen to this and might say, what is a computer programmer? But right now, suddenly have software that's worth adopting, but also isn't that reliable and, and poses risks. Accidental misinformation, deliberate use for misinformation, which we have a situation where I think everybody has woken up, realized they need to do something. And I was actually earlier today talking to people from two different governments in two different countries. Those two countries aren't coordinated with one another, and they're big countries. And we could wind up in a very balkanized world where every country has its own policies. I worry about that partly because they may be incompatible, partly because I think that you know, most countries won't have the expertise to understand what this AI is even about. As we talk, for example, the United States has a lot of different agencies thinking about AI regulation. They're not even coordinated within the United States. Um, and the United States has enough technical expertise that maybe they can pull this off. What about a smaller country that may have you know, nobody that has a PhD in computer science or AI? Like, how are they going to cope with it? So I, th I think there's reason to have some global coordination here. It's only going to work if both the companies and the governments work together. And I think there's some historical precedence for having this level of coordination you know, around nuclear weapons, for example, where you have to invent new inspection regimes, for example, in order to cope with a new potential threat. And I hope we will come together as a world to do this. But like, this is a special moment in history where there's enough incentive for every party to try to work together here. Whether they do or not, that's going to be the question. We'll be back right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, 
Take advantage of the special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash machines. That's netsuite.com slash machines. We don't have a, a firm definition even of what artificial intelligence is, and that's a problem. So like right now, the EU just came up with a policy around AI, and they didn't really anticipate these chatbots would be widespread. And so they have this taxonomy of four different kinds of AI, and now people are arguing, well, we've got this new thing. How does it even fit in? And it's fundamentally difficult to define intelligence. Intelligence is really multidimensional. It's not one thing. It's many. There's social intelligence, verbal intelligence, mathematical intelligence. These current AI systems don't have flexible intelligence. They can't come to a new problem and really reliably solve it. But they have other kinds of intelligence. They're good at predicting things that are regular and so forth. There's no simple definition, I think, even to be had, and that's another problem here. I think fundamentally governments are not very flexible and dynamic. We may need to think about new ways to handle things that move this fast. And you know, this would be the moment when I think we have a chance to pull it off because there is so much interest even on the part of the companies to do this, and there's so much reason for the governments to want to do it. But there's also human nature and, and you know competitive urges, and so maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. And I think a lot is at stake with how we handle this moment in history. There's a ton of open questions about how one would actually do this. What is the model? How much say does this organization have? Can it order inspections? Can it you know, have any real authority. But I would say that one thing that we could focus on is having a balance between governance and research. That we have to think that part of what's going on here is we need new tools to cope with this new threats. Just like people have invented virus software to track viruses or anti-spam software. In order to track many of these new threats, we need to build new software, which is going to require the development of new technologies. We should be thinking of this not just as a traditional governance system, but as a governance system that integrates the capability to build its own technology that it maybe shares with member nations and so forth and maybe builds with the support of the companies to help mitigate some of the new threats. The closest analog here, I think, is CERN, right, where you have international collaboration around building new instruments and being able to interpret those instruments. That's what we need is some international collaboration on building new instruments, for example, to measure misinformation, deliberate misinformation, accidental medical misinformation, and so forth. So we might need some global collaboration there and interdisciplinary collaboration, like, for example, between computer scientists and doctors. I hope all the you know major companies that are building these AI tools will be obligated and will want to participate and you know help in building those tools in, in various ways, whether it's providing computer time or, or expertise or both. Or you know, I, I hope that the companies will feel some sense of moral obligation, also some sense of of optical obligation that if they're building these things, they should play a role in mitigating those risks. And I think the counterbalance to that is if the companies do nothing, then like we've just seen that Italy banned chat GPT. And like there's a risk to the companies that all the countries will say, look, you're not taking care of these problems. We don't want you using them in our country. The companies don't want 193 privacy laws. The companies don't want to be shut down in the middle of the night because they're violating those privacy laws. They may not want to be totally transparent, but a country might wake up and say, it's not transparent enough what you're doing, you're shut down. And so if there's some kind of unity that gives some kind of stability, that's actually in the corporate interest and the public interest. 
I think right now what people should be thinking is this is a serious moment. There are other issues. I'm not saying it's the most pressing issue in the world. We always have to think about nuclear security and climate and so forth. But all of these things are actually intertwined. For example, if AI software produces a lot of misinformation, it could undermine efforts to protect the climate. If AI produces a lot of cyber warfare, it could lead to an actual nuclear conflict. I think people need to say, hey, this matters. Gary Marcus is a cognitive scientist, best-selling author, and the host of a new limited podcast series called Humans vs. Machines. This project was produced by me with Anthony Green and Emma Silicons. We're edited by Matt Honan and mixed by Garrett Lang, with original music by Garrett Lang and Jacob Gorski. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Strong. This is MIT Technology Review.